Well, good morning. Well, I think after all that, we could probably go home. <laughs> Baptism and worship, wonderful worship. Uh, but uh, I think we have some more great stuff ahead. Um, Scott Sterner is here from our district office. Scott and I have known each other for a number of years now, actually. We see each other at different conferences and touch bases. And over the last several years, I've said, Scott, i got to get you out to Faith Church and, uh, and preach. And he is now full-time with the district as our church multiplication catalyst. That's his official title. And I'm not quite sure what catalyst means, but uh, we'll look it up in our dictionary later. It just means he catalyzes. That's what I think. Um, we'll see. No, uh, he, he basically is strategic. He is strategically minded on helping churches to reach their community for Christ and uh, be used by the Lord to really be effective in our great commission that God has called us to. And so uh, a while back, we finally set a date. We said, okay, instead of just talking about it, let's get it on the calendar because you know how it is. If you don't put it on the calendar, it doesn't happen. So we set this date a long time ago for Scott to come and share with us what the Lord has laid on his heart, just so that you can meet him and get to know him a little bit. So let's give Scott a warm welcome. Thanks, Scott, for being here. All right. Well, it is a joy to be with you. Um, as Jeremy said, I'm the Church Multiplication Catalyst, which is just a fancy way for saying that I, I help to facilitate multiplication of churches, new church plants, uh, of, of multiplying leaders, of multiplying disciple makers and disciples, you know, that's kind of the role that I try to play to help our churches, and so it's a joy to be with you representing what's actually about 125 congregations, 30,000 people every Sunday are worshiping in, in our churches, and uh, so it's a joy to, to be here as a part of that. Um, I can tell you as well that it's just been a real joy to get to know Jeremy over the last few years, really blessed and encouraged. It's been fun to hear through the baptisms today about the fruitful ministry of Pastor Pat and Pastor Brian. I love Brian's hairstyle. It's just amazing. It's, what a sharp-looking guy. And, uh, of course, Kyle as well. And, and, and I know that there are many who, who lead and, and uh, who are serving the Lord in ministry, including many of you, and just, just thankful for you and God's fruitful work here. You know, uh, one of the things I love doing when I'm going to visit a church is to creep their website, I don't know if you've heard of that term, but you creep the website, learn a little bit more about you, and one of the most beautiful things is the very first thing that comes up when we open that webpage is this mission statement. Our mission is to invite people into relationship with Jesus and together to become devoted followers of him. Now, one thing I love about that statement is that it zeroes in on the central purposes of the church, namely that we're to be about inviting people to a relationship with Jesus. And this reminds me of a quote, one of my favorite interesting quotes of Archbishop William Temple, who said this, The church is the only society in the world which exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. Let me read it again. The church is the only society in the world which exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. Now, it's interesting to think about the church this way because so often we as Christians enter churches, those who are Christians, we enter it thinking, how can this serve me? You know, that the fundamental purpose of the church is to meet my needs. But what we're going to see today in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21, is that the more we understand who we are as Christians, 
the more it's going to challenge us to orient our lives around mission, around the mission of benefiting those who are not presently with us by inviting them to join us and to join relationship with Jesus. Now, to provide some context, you can go ahead and start turning if you have a Bible or pull up, open an app or whatever. Go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 5. But, but to give you a quick back, backdrop to where we'll be going today, uh, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And he planted the church in Corinth around AD 50, so it was you know, a couple thousand years ago. You can learn about it in Acts 18. And uh, 2 Corinthians, this is the second letter that he was writing to this church. It was four to five years after the church was planted. And what we learn from this letter is that since Paul's departure from Corinth, some people had grown up in leadership in the church, and these influential teachers began to speak critically of Paul's life and ministry. And so in today's passage, what we're going to do in part is hear Paul's defense. He's, he's defending his ministry. And, and in particular, he's defending his motives. What motivates him for ministry? Now, I don't know if you've ever had your motives questioned before, but I imagine all of you have had that experience. It's not always fun. Now, sometimes we need our motives questioned because we, we know our motives aren't always pure. But in this situation, Paul's motives were pure, and he wanted to make it very clear uh, by giving a defense for those motives. And he does it not only in terms of uh, articulating why he does what he does, but he, he couches it in a teaching for the church, saying, here's why we do what we do. And so we're going to learn about that now. So follow along with me. I'm going to read through that whole section, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray together. Father, my thoughts as we come this morning are drawn, first of all, to the news I heard this morning driving in, that there was a bombing in a, in a few churches in the Philippines. Twenty are dead and many more injured. And Father, so first and foremost, I want to pray uh, for them and for your protection, for your healing, for your consolation in the hearts of those who are hurting this morning. And Father, I just want to pray as well with great thanks joining this congregation and in the fact that we can be here gathered uh, without fear. Uh, and uh, Father, I just pray that uh, as we think of those who are persecuted in such a tangible way, might it draw a sense of zeal and hopefulness and a sense of purposefulness in our faith as we seek to stand out as lights in this world. And Father, we pray now that you might guide uh, the teaching of your word, that really what would be said and what would be understood today would be the work of your spirit through your word. And Father, that we would all be encouraged because of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Now, I know that anytime you gather in a church on a Sunday morning, there's going to be a lot of variety in the room, people who've walked with the Lord for a long time, perhaps some who uh, are just exploring the Christian faith. And so I want to start this morning just giving you a very brief summary, uh, overview of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one way of summarizing the gospel is this, is to be accepted by God is to be transformed into something new. That's a little bit of a unique way of, of thinking about it, but let me explain. You see, we were all made for a relationship. You know that longing that you all have felt in your life, that longing to be known and loved by someone? Well, that was placed in you by God and is meant to be most fully fulfilled in relationship with Him. The problem is, though, our hearts are unfaithful. We give our hearts and our affections to all sorts of other things in this world that are far less than God. And that is what the Bible defines as sin. It's that unfaithfulness of our affections towards other things. The problem is, we wander. And that straying, again, is sin. And what that does is that introduces in our relationship with God an offense. That unfaithfulness creates a divorce of sorts, a separation from our love and relationship with God. And we, if you've lived this life long, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that there is nothing we can do to bridge that gap. Like any judge, God knows that he needs to uphold justice for our sin and punish in order to balance the scales of justice. But this is where the story gets so beautiful, isn't it? Jesus, as God's own son, he went to the cross to balance those scales of justice, to take upon himself the punishment we deserved so that all who come to him seeking his mercy and forgiveness, they are declared free from guilt. And even better, Not only are they forgiven, they're adopted into a new family. They become a new creation. And this brings me back to that opening statement that the gospel is really a story about how we're accepted by God through his grace and then made into something new, into members of the family of God. Now, in 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to see this gospel narrative illustrated in three ways, namely, how through the gospel, we are given a new perspective. Number two, we are given a new role. And number three, we're given a new identity. So let's look at this first one. Through the gospel, we're given a new perspective. Look back with me at verses 16 and 17. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now this verse, it begins with the word therefore, which points us back to things that were previously said. Now I don't have time to explore all those things. But the gist of what is is being pointed to is this, this gospel narrative, this story of how we are forgiven by our sin and therefore reconciled to God. And so, What do we do in light of that acceptance? We'll look at verse 16. We recognize no one according to the flesh, that even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. So what Paul is saying here is that before Christ changed us, how we measured people uh, was not accurate. We measured people according to a false standard. Now think about it for a moment. How does the world measure people? Our world tells us that your value comes from the things you own. 
Our world tells us your value comes from how smart or how beautiful you are according to the world's standards. Our world tells you that, that it measures people by their power or influence. But what Paul wants to see is that when Jesus changes our lives, we begin to measure people and God in different ways. Now, no one personally illustrates this better than Paul himself. You see, earlier in his life, he was not a Christian, right? He was a zealous Jew. And he wasn't just any zealous Jew. No, he was the Jew of Jews. He was the kind of Jew that all the Jewish mothers wanted their daughters to marry, okay? He was that kind of a guy. And he was so zealous that, that he uh, persecuted Christians. He, he even participated in the murder of Christians in order to silence their message. And you can read about that in Acts 8. But God's grace shows up on the scene in Acts 9, where at the time Paul, known as Saul, was on his way to the road to Damascus. And he had this moment of conversion. A bright light blinded him. And he heard the voice of Jesus saying, Why, Paul, or why, Saul, are you persecuting me? And blindness came over his eyes. And days later, a man by the name of Ananias placed his hands on blind Saul. And in the name of Jesus, he healed him. And the Bible says that scales fell off his eyes and he could now see. Now we learn in these these passages that Saul's perspective changed in that moment. Right? He went from being this zealot, religious Jew, to this wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. And so in that moment, his world was turned upside down, right? A switch was flipped. He had a whole new way of seeing and understanding life. And I believe this is what he's getting at in verse 17 when he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So Paul is saying when we accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're recreated into something new. And this new person has a new way of seeing things. Right? The old measure of the world, it's now gone. We look at everything from hardships to friendships to the unbeliever to God himself. We begin to see things differently. Now, a few years ago, uh, my son, uh, my oldest son, I should say, Zach, we were in New York City on a senior trip together. And we went to the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. I don't have any of you seen that? Have anybody here? A few of you have. Well, it's, it's such a, you know, a moving experience to go there. It's, it's interesting. As, as you're in New York City, there's just this buzz and energy all throughout the city. But when you turn the corner and head into the Memorial, that, that energetic buzz quickly changes. And what you'll see first is, is this deep hole, these two large, deep uh, crevices in the ground that stand as a, as a monument, as a recognition of where the towers that fell, where, for those of you who are young, maybe to remind you, there, there were planes that flew into these buildings and thousands were killed that day from this uh, terrible act of terror. And, and again, the, the, the noise and energy of the city changes and you come into this quiet and very somber setting. And then you, you enter the museum and, and you observe twisted metal beams that are displayed like sculptures in memory of those who died that day. You read the background of the terrorists who hijacked planes and you 
recount and visit rooms where you'll see the pictures of everyone who died in that terrible day. And, and you'll hear the voices of their sons and daughters, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, all speaking words of remembrance for their loved ones who were lost that day. And one of the quotes that has been over that whole 9-11 experience is this. We shall never forget. We shall keep this day. We shall keep the events and the tears in our minds, our memory and our hearts, and take them with us as we carry on. You see, the goal of those who created the 9-11 memorial was that people would never forget that the experience as they visit that place would remind them to never look at the world the same way again. To never look at loved ones the same way again. To never be thankful for their safety the same way again. Now what I want us to understand is this. In the same way as 9-11 changed us as a nation and in many ways changed the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ is also a radical, perspective-changing experience. That on the tragic day of crucifixion, a perspective-changing event also occurred. An event that changed the very course of human history. And for many of you, it's changed your life. But because of the cross, nothing is ever going to be the same again. And when we come to the Lord's table to take of the bread and of the cup, what should be ringing in our ears are the very words of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. So we as Christians, we will not forget. We will not forget. And so this leads me to the first question I've got for you, and that is, How is the gospel of Jesus Christ challenging you to look at your world through new eyes? To see Jesus, to see others, to even see yourself through the eyes of a new creation, a perspective formed and shaped in this beautiful message of love through the gospel of Jesus. Now, over a year ago, my wife and I went through a very difficult experience with some other Christians who hurt us, and we hurt them in the midst of some conflict that happened. And we're still in in the journey right now towards reconciliation with those people. And I share this with you because what I've learned, even all my years of ministry and walking with Jesus, is that my ability to have a heart that is warmed towards forgiveness is in direct correlation with my heart being warmed by the forgiveness and grace that I have received in Christ. You see, the more we think about how Jesus has changed our life through the gospel, the more inspired we are to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. Why? Because we too, but for the grace of God, were once an enemy. Enemies who've now been welcomed into the family of God. So again, in what ways is the gospel challenging you to look at your world and to look at others through a new perspective? So in verse 16 and 17, we're given a new perspective. Let's move on. 
Number two, through the gospel, we're given a new role. Look with me at verses 18 and 19. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now the word reconciliation, it implies something, and I talked about it earlier, and that is that we were once alienated. Alienated by what? By sin. And so according to verse 18, Christ reconciled us to himself. And in that moment, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Those of you who have seen a track meet before and know what the relay looks like, the 4x4, the 4x100, there's a runner carrying a baton, and at the right moment, he hands that baton off to the next runner, and they take the race forward. And that is the essence of what Jesus did when he reconciled us to the Lord. It was as though he was carrying a baton, the message of reconciliation, and putting it in our hands that we might carry that message forward to others. And so according to verses 18 and 19, we now have this responsibility. And it's part of our new role, which we're going to see very clearly in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So according to Paul, as bearers of the message of reconciliation, we're assuming a brand new role. Okay, now this is your role, church. This is over your life if you're in Christ. You are now an ambassador of Christ. During World War I, in the Western Front of the war, it was largely fought using trench warfare. And you're going to see a few pictures of that on the screen. So this was where large trenches would be you know, dug out in the soil, and uh, the uh, armies would, would entrench themselves there, and that would protect them from small arms fire. Now, it was a brutal form of war, because there were many casualties. Why? Well, the only way to advance the front is to come out of the trench and leave yourself vulnerable to injury and death. Now, because radio technology wasn't secure in those days, the only way that commanders could communicate to their forces was to use runners. And so, man, quite a responsibility if you were a runner in trench warfare. Not only because you would put your life in danger every time you'd communicate, but because what you shared was essential for the survival and success of the mission. Now, to be a runner in trench warfare, uh, uh, what's very, very interesting about that experience is that seldom did anyone question their message. Why is that? Well, not only because they're giving the message at such a cost to themselves, but also because of the authority from whom the message was given right? They were carrying the message of the commanding officer. They spoke with the authority of another. And what I want us to see here is this, that the role of runner has a certain parallel to our Christian experience of what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. Like a runner in World War I, we, we go and tell with the authority of the one who sent us. We, we learn about this in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, and 19. Jesus says, um, 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And and like a runner, uh, we're carrying an important message. Verse 20 says, tell others, be reconciled to God. Like a runner, we're vulnerable to injury. If you read on in 2 Corinthians, you'll see Paul details all the afflictions and all the persecutions that he's endured because of his calling to be an ambassador for Christ. So, to review. When you've been changed by the gospel, it's like you put on the glasses and for the first time you see the world differently. And the good news of that reconciliation, it changes us forever. And in light of this now, we're given this role, right? We're called to be an ambassador for Christ. So the question I've got for you is this. How is your role of ambassador for Christ changing the way you live? How is the role of ambassador for Christ changing the way you live? Now, John Stott is famous for this statement. He says that every Christian is a missionary cleverly disguised is a mechanic, teacher, project manager, etc., etc. So do you see yourself that way? If you're a follower of Christ, do you see that you are an ambassador of Christ, cleverly disguised as someone else? So even more than a teacher, even more than a mechanic, even more than a project manager, even more than a parent or a, or a husband or wife, you are first and foremost an ambassador for Christ. And so how has that truth changed the way you live? That's what the the Apostle Paul is challenging us to think about this morning. And so we've seen in the gospel of Christ, we get a new perspective. We've seen that we get a new role as ambassadors from Christ. And then three, we're going to see how through the gospel we're given a new identity. Look with me now at verse 21. He made him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is what uh, uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, would call the great exchange. Now, the first part of the exchange is this. It happens through the cross of Christ. And, And what happened at that moment when Christ was nailed to that cross and died for our sin? is as I said earlier, he was taking punishment. He was bearing upon his shoulders our sin. He literally became a sin offering. He absorbed God's stored up wrath for our sin. Now listen, what this means is all who trust in Christ on the cross, that theft that we committed That when God poured out his anger upon Christ, he was treating him like a thief. That lie we told? That on the cross, God poured out his anger on Christ as though he was that liar. That our impure and lustful thoughts, that on that day, God was angry with those thoughts. And on that day, His righteous indignation, his righteous anger was directed towards his own son as if he was the one with those impure thoughts. That in our laziness, in our fits of anger, in our failure to be a faithful ambassador, 
in all these things. When Christ became sin, it was as though God was treating his son as if he had done those very things. And this is what it means for Christ to become sin. He literally was the wrath-bearing substitute for you and for me. Now, as humbling and beautiful as that narrative and that story of love is, it's only half the story. You see, the other half is seen in verse 21. Hear those words again. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What this means is that at the moment of your salvation, At that moment when that light switch is turned on inside of you, Christ not only took your sin, but he gave you his righteousness. That means that if you're in Christ, when God looks at you, he is just as pleased with you as he is pleased with his own son. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. Now, the Heidelberg Catechism describes it this way, that in the moment of this great exchange, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. Aren't you amazed? Aren't you amazed at what God has done for you? Doesn't this wonderful truth inspire you to worship? Now, before we wrap up, I want to remind you of something. This letter to Corinth, it was not written to unbelievers. You see, all this talk of the gospel, Okay, some of you, I know you think about it, and you're like, well, this is kind of 101, isn't it, Christianity? It's 101, it's 201, it's 301, it's 401. What Paul is saying is he emphasizes the gospel to the believing church in Corinth is this. If you've drifted from mission, if you've drifted from living as an ambassador for Christ, no matter how long you've walked with the Lord, you've drifted in large part because you've lost sight of the gospel and all its beauty. This is why missiologists say that the most instrumental time in a person's life for sharing the gospel with other people is right after they first meet the Lord. Why is that? Because it's at that moment where where the, the absolute gravity of what it is that Jesus has done and forgiven and the excitement of that new life in him It's in that very moment that it is most real. And so you can't help but tell everybody. This is why in Revelation you hear that that idea of, you know, you've lost your first love. Remember your first love. Don't forget. Live day after day in awe of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which took your sin and exchange gave you the rewards of Christ in a new identity. So what does Paul do? He points us back to the gospel. 
He doesn't give us a new program, right? He doesn't, he doesn't guilt us into being more faithful. Programs are great. Don't get me wrong. But, the, we, but if, there, if there's unfaithfulness in our mission, we have to start doing We have to start doing So bottom line, this is it. The more we embrace our identity and the new perspective it forms, the more faithful we become in mission as messengers of reconciliation. Our worship fuels our witness. Our worship fuels our witness. So we've seen that through the gospel, we get a new perspective, we get a new role, and we get a new identity. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Castaway. It's kind of an old movie now, but I don't know. Any hands? Anybody seen the Castaway movie with Tom Hanks? Quite a few of you. Yeah, that's good. Well, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, in the movie Tom Hanks, he plays a Federal Express, Express employee whose company plane goes down, leaving him stranded on a desert island for five years. And uh, what's, what's funny is back in Super Bowl 37, Federal Express, they ran a commercial that was spoofing this movie. And in the commercial, there was a guy looking like Tom Hanks. So he had cleaned himself up since coming back, but his hair is long and he's still disheveled. And uh, as a FedEx employee, he goes to the door of this suburban home. And he's got this weathered FedEx package in his hand. When the owner comes to the door, he explained that he survived five years on a deserted island, and during that whole time, he kept this package safe in order to one day deliver it to her. And so she says, well, thank you. And she goes to close the door, and he, he stops her. He says, if I may ask, what was in that package after all? She opened this box and showed him the contents and said, oh, nothing really, just a satellite telephone, a global positioning device, a compass, a water purifier, and some seeds. Now, in this humorous commercial, we get a profound picture of what it means to be a Christian in this life. You see, many of us are going through life living as castaways, unaware that we have all we need for life, all we need for joy, all we need for satisfaction, all we need for mission, and it's right beside us. So for those of you this morning who are living as a functional castaway, what Jesus wants you to see today to be reminded of today is that you've been saved by God's grace. And that this salvation not only is a get-out-of-jail-free card, which is, is great, but it's much more than that. It's an invitation to a new way of living. To an identity which transforms you from castaway to an insider. From enemy to a friend. From injured to empowered from recluse to a runner, from shamed to unashamed, and from aimless to ambassador. So in light of this truth, in the words of Paul, I'm going to challenge you now to live as Christ's ambassador, knowing that God is making his appeal to the world through you. 
to live your life and speak your words in such a way as to proclaim to the world around you, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for the privilege and honor of sharing your word. Father, there are some uh, stories this morning, undoubtedly in this room, of people who are entering this place far from you, perhaps for the first time hearing and understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray for those who are here that today might be their step of faith into the family and into the new perspective that is extended through your grace and mercy. Father, for others of us, me included, we struggle because we know the world, our flesh, and the enemy wants to accuse us, wants to convince us that we are not an ambassador, but we are to be scorned above all. But Father, I pray this morning that you would remind us of who we are in Christ and remind us of the unbelievable beauty of what you did as you bore the wrath we deserved for sin in order to extend to us the riches of your Son. Father, may that land deeply on us and become the fuel not only for our transformation, not only for the joy in the midst of the valleys, but also the fuel for mission. Father, may our adoration and may our worship create such a fire in our spirit that we can't help but let others know of the hope we have in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.